of a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bust through the defense. Just watch this. This is Jordan Lama to all but win it. Oh, what a pickup! He picked up the ball. He might have picked up the trophy too. Good evening and welcome to the Molecast. Uh, we weren't around last week after Leinster dispatched with Munster in the semi-final. So there's quite a lot to talk about. Uh, good evening, lads. Good evening. Good evening. Um, so we're going to start, uh, we're going to go chronologically and start with a, a, a quick run-through of our thoughts over uh, on Leinster's defeat of Munster in the semi-final in uh, the sunshine last, the weekend before Firstly, last. it was great to have a game, uh, a Leinster game in the RDS against... Munster, who uh, haven't played in the RDS for, I think it's about... I think it's eight the last, years, nine yeah, years, was, eight. So the last one was the semi-final in 20, May 2010. Um, so it was a really nice day, really good occasion. And Is that the one where he slipped ran over O'Gara? That's the one. Okay, just to put a, yeah, the bit that everybody remembers. It was a, that, was, uh, it was, that was a cracking game, and, you know, we had quite a good game as well. It was two weeks ago now. Uh, it's not as fresh in the, in the mind as... It's could be, but we'd still, I think there's a couple of uh, items I think we'd, we'd talk about or chat about. One well, of the things I, I thought, actually, just before um, you move on to something else is I was surprised in the aftermath, uh, and I know it's the end of the season and maybe people don't care as much, but I was surprised that Jan Klein didn't get a sighting in a ban uh, for the, the clear-out headbutt on uh, Ross Byrne. Yeah, and I was thinking about that at the time. and We'd only a few days beforehand been talking about Wayne Barnes and the high tackles and how harshly things are penalised and, you know, has the game gone pathetic, to to quote Haskell, which I think he, he seemed to have got a bit of feedback for. But that was certainly one of the things where you're going, God, like, that's that's thuggish. I mean, the guy is prone on the, on the ground and Klein just flew in at his head. But look, it's 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 been and gone. I was surprised he didn't get worse at the time friend of mine who played in the front row commented that Munster had brought two full sets, full eights, and were really concentrating on the scrum uh, in the warm-up. And he was, oh God, I can't remember the last time I've seen a team go full-on scrummaging uh, before a game. But it really paid off. I thought that, uh, Jesus, I'm going to say I thought that John Ryan started and played most of it, didn't he? John Ryan played almost all of it, yeah, because Kieran Parker was the sub. Archer's season ended with a, with a bit of surgery, and so was John Ryan, I think, played something like 72, 76 minutes. John Ryan had a really good match uh, and got the better at Jack McGrath, and I thought that Jack McGrath might be... I thought Jack McGrath might be struggling, actually, to get on the Ireland tour based on this season, because I thought James Cronin had played well in the in the latter half of the season. I guess, though, if you're looking at them in terms of long-term form, uh, Jack McGrath's a better bet. So I, I suppose we'll... I thought Jack, um, I think over the course of the season, seems to have suffered the same thing as all the English players did, and then he just looks a little bit more tired than uh, Keane Healy. Although Keane Healy's also hit, like, uh, he's gone back up to a level that I thought he might never go back up to a few years ago. Um, on the subject of that game, Leicester played really well for 20 minutes, and then they, um, it seemed they really stuttered, I felt, and uh, I thought a couple of players, and notably... Uh, Luke McGrath didn't play particularly well in that game. Yeah, there's quite a lot of comment on that uh, about his, especially in the second half, the length of his kicking, whether or not that was intentional. Um, 
and it's it's unknowable. It's one of the questions which you would love to sit down and and ask the coaches and ask the players. You know, was it intentional to kick that long to a monster back three, which on, on paper is extremely dangerous. Is Evo Conway Earls, um, but which didn't you know didn't prove to be all that dangerous. Like Zebo had a couple of nice runs. Earls scored a try, but also Earls also had terrible knock-on under little pressure. Zebo had a couple of terrible forward passes or passes, nobody or passes into touch. So it's difficult to know whether or not they were always going to be contestables or they were meant to get the ball out of uh, Leinster territory and they weren't particularly worried about the monster threat. That it was mm. most going to come from one runner rather than particularly incisive or particularly, or particularly thoughtful uh, counter-attacking play. When we talk about Luke McGrath, we have to acknowledge we're a camp divided, um, and then you know what follows on from that. So I, I'm less of a fan than you are, but I'm I think not even a, I'm not even a huge fan. I, I just think that sometimes he gets unnecessary or he he undeserved a bit, criticism. A bit, yeah, a bit undeserved. Criticism. I, I want to say I'm not too much a fan. Like I'm not a huge fan. I think he's good. You know, uh, and I think that the, the ends up, what what you end up happening in these conversations is that you get into a yes no sort of thing where binary. you know one person yeah binary where one person is singing Luke McGrath's praises and the other person is is damning him. So I guess with McGrath because the match that. I remember McGrath playing in was when Leinster had a... He started at scrum half. They played against the Scardis. They had a load of injuries and he ended up playing like wing and full back. And he played really, really well. And it was an indication of, God, like Luke McGrath is such a good rugby player who could play almost as well anywhere as he can play at scrum half, which is incredible because he specialised all the way through. As, as most scrum halves do, they mm. don't have the chance. So my concern about him is that he's just a little bit tone deaf at scrum half. That he, the, the plan was to go out and to kick the ball up into the air and come hell or high water, Luke McGrath was going to do that. And the reason that I say it was there was there was a passage of play, and I went uh, sort of, it was in the second half, and it was over on the, the newsstand side, the grandstand side, where Leinster brought it in close. They had a few pick and jams. Luke McGrath made a few half breaks and fed his forwards. And it was it was really effective because it's it uh, it was it was the way to attack against the way the Munster were defending. And I thought to myself. God, I hope he does that now for the next 10 or 15 minutes. But he didn't. He just went back to doing whatever mm. he decided to do before the match. And that's my frustration with Luke McGrath, is that he just, he's he's as brave as a lion. He'll, he's a bit of he'll, a Niall Hogan, isn't he? He's a bit of a Niall Hogan. Yeah, he's just, he he's is, just a yeah. bit tone deaf. Like, he can read music, but he just can't pick a tune. Um, when, when we're like discussing sort of a binary reaction to Luke McGrath. Like, I don't think that... Like, I think that Cooney is certainly the second best uh, scrum half in, in Ireland on form. To me, it's much more muchness between uh, Marmy and, and McGrath as a third choice. I think we're... I think it's definitely, and by a long street, the deepest we've we've ever been at scrum half. Um, so, uh, that would be... I, su- I suppose that's that's just it's it's not that I'm a, a massive fan, but nor am I a big detractor of him. Yeah, I think we've. Uh, I don't know. It, Cooney seems to have developed into a, a player who has sort of almost star potential, um, so, such as the team to extent to which 
he's put the Ulster team. I, I think. Back. I think. Yeah. I think he has been a star this season. Mm. I think he's been an absolute star. I don't. I wouldn't call it anything less. Uh, he showed great potential uh, towards the end of his first season in Connacht when he outplayed Kieran Marmion. Remember, we were watching those games and you go, "Wow, Cooney's um, Cooney's really good." We both of us certainly. Uh, thought it was a fairly egregious decision to, for Matt O'Connor to let him go from Leinster because purely for one reason, if, if not for anything else, in that we had two uh, scrum halves of exactly the same age in Isaac Boss and Owen Redden born, well, not exactly the same age, born at the opposite ends of the same year, but getting older and older and older together. Mm. So it was clear that we we're going to have to replace two in, if not in one season, two in two seasons. And we had McGrath and Cooney. So the idea that we could... Uh, let one of our younger guys go when you knew we were going to have to replace both of the guys who got to 35, 36 on Leinster's books. Uh, it was just such a bad decision. Uh, a, t- a terrible decision. They should have, um, especially, well, Connor basically should have said, I'm going to have to cut one of my older players now, as mm-hmm. boss probably, as much as I'm a fan of Bossy. At 36, he certainly played his best rugby and there was very little future in it for him. And start playing one of the younger guys quicker. And so then one of the younger guys would have taken on the role of the better younger mm-hmm. player, if you know what I mean. So Cooney would have got the minutes that Luke McGrath got as a sub for most of that season. So letting letting um, letting uh, Cooney go to Connacht wasn't inevitable. It was it was a good get from Connacht, but um, he has been sensational in Ulster. I didn't think he was going to be this good. Uh, I thought he was going to be a very good scrum half. I didn't envision him being a place kicker, being able to play 10 and, you know, Hall and Ulster around after him. I was a bit miffed when uh, Cooney wasn't picked for the South African tour because uh, I thought he played very well that season. Mm. And I, so he brought Owen Redden instead. And I think being close enough in age to Owen Redden, certainly uh, just because he was old, um, I, it was it was great. It was great. It was a great story that he was able to play for Ireland and then you know go out like fully fit. He, he was on the pitch in the last few minutes and then just go back into Civvy Street. So I mean, he started working like a few weeks after that in mm-hmm. a like an aviation lease and is, is what he does. And um, but it it was a strange decision from a development point of view, <laughs> um, where you bring down a scrum half who you know is going to retire at the end of the tour. When he got a got, and then Cooney did his shoulder before the Japanese tour, so uh, yeah, he obviously wasn't going to go on that one. So it was, I, I guess what I felt about Munster in that match was that they played really, really well. I thought it was their second biggest match of the season after the Racing match. I thought that they had two weeks to focus on it, whereas Leinster, it was it was a second thought after the coming as it did mm-hmm. a week after the, the the final of the Heineken Cup, and I guess the the reservations that I had about Munster after the match was that as good as they played they played a style of rugby that while it makes them very difficult to beat it, it, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get better mm-hmm. so you can sort of say oh like we're really coming together under Johan van Graan but like they're missing Zebo. so Zebo gave a great cutting edge from full back he was, he was dangerous without being you know terrifying like he wasn't Teddy Thomas mm-hmm. um but you know he's he's gone and Wooden as good as he has been. Yeah, he's Wooden's a step down. So, but really, what I think, and I think the same about Edinburgh, is as good as as much as they've improved. Just because you go from being a sort of like a three or a four out of ten, I'm not suggesting Munster, but I would suggest Edinburgh where three or four out of ten, and you make a huge amount of improvement, and you go to a six or seven out of ten. 
doesn't follow that the next season you go to eight to nine to ten because the, the style and the ambition that you show um, is like those final steps are the hardest steps mm. and even if I want to give an example I'd use Exeter who were the champions of England but I mean Exeter weren't close to beating the Saracen guys at the weekend in the final they didn't get out of their pool and I'm a I'm an admirer yeah. of of Exeter and what they've done and I like Baxter as a coach and I think Exeter are a very good team and I'm actually happy that Leinster had them knocked out in the pool stages because they're a team I wouldn't have wanted to come across again later on but there's like to get up to the the top you, you have to have a level I of I agree ambition. with that I agree and and what you uh, you agree with that? <laughs> that's a tasty beverage um I, I read a couple of things um Paul O'Connell is, is leaving the, the Munster Academy and he talked about, uh, amongst other things, he talked about is sort of a sense of frustration at Leinster. Um, their form has exacerbated that frustration and that Munster aren't too far away from getting to the top. But as you say, those last steps are the hardest steps. Um, and they, uh, I'm sort of writing uh, at the moment an, an article about Munster, which will probably be published within the next two or three years <laughs> um, and it was just there is a difference uh, they they have and I, I think that I think that Munster are doing pretty well I think their form reflects well in their team and their coaching I don't think that they are um, underachieving at all I think that getting into European semi-finals two years in a row is is really impressive. It means that they're right mm-hmm. in the top in the top bracket of of European rugby. You know, they're the yeah. top six or seven teams. Go bite your hand off for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, Exeter would bite Exeter. Your hand. Exeter didn't get there. Claremont didn't get there. These are you know really really good teams. But with that said, um, they were walloped in their European. Uh, semi-finalists and they were well beaten in the European semi-final last time out and if you look at how good and they've lost a lot of um, they've lost a lot of they, they were uh, in the final that they competed in against the Scarlets last year they were walloped and in the final two years previous that they competed in against Glasgow Glasgow they were walloped and what? those were both on neutral territory both in Ireland well, I was going to make the point that if you look at how good Glasgow were when they won the league, like they were excellent. And if you look at how good Scarlets were, excellent. And you look at how good Leinster were in their final against the Scarlets, excellent. And it's 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 proof to me that in order, like in order to win, geez, and if you look at how good Saracens were against Exeter in the final, excellent. Like big players playing well in the right positions. Mm. Um, so. I don't not think I don't I don't think that's a I don't think that's a criticism it's not of a criticism. monster. It's not I think it's just criticism. an observation yeah. of how difficult it is to to get up to you know the the, the absolute top level. As yeah. an aside for then a question that relates to um, two other semi finalists, um, one of which I saw a bit of and one of which I didn't see, but I was sort of just interested in the following results. Uh, how good are that Newcastle team that they got to a semi-final? Are they doing well to get there or are they going somewhere? Doing well to get there, arguably going somewhere, but it's a very difficult... Uh, it's a difficult top three. To, it will be a difficult top three to crack. I think Wasps, um, Exeter and Saris are a good way away ahead of everyone else. Gloucester might think that they're going to make a good charge for uh, next season, but they always think that and they don't. 
Okay. And structurally, Leicester are such a big club that <laughs> they can survive Matt O'Connor. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Let us never pass up the opportunity uh, to give I'm Matt a, a, give Matt a not, good kick. Not kicking. a bad guy. <laughs> not a bad guy, but not a good coach. <laughs> okay. The other semi-finals team I want to talk about, because I did see a bit of it, was before the Leinster match started, was Castro cheating their absolute holes oh. off. In uh, in Leon, I think in the new stadium in Leon against uh, Racing. Racing, and that really underlined to me how close. Like I think Racing are a better team than Munster. Certainly, they beat them, but obviously, but I think they're better. I think they're a really good team. They're really smart against us. They made it a bit of a dog of game, but they're a really smart team, and they're going to come away from this season with absolutely nothing. I was so frustrated watching that match because Cast are uh, everyone's second team. In France, because they're a small team, etc. Cast were so negative; they were just so negative. And the referee—I felt like they could have been five yellow cards in the uh, last twenty minutes. Absolutely, the five, referee honestly, just did not want to referee the game properly. He didn't want to give a yellow card because um, it would be seen. He would attract attention to himself. He he was run ramshackle over by that experience. As we've said before, a lot of French teams are very experienced. Uh, Cast had that. Capo Ortega, who must be one of the biggest cheats in rugby, <laughs> and Rory Cockett, who is also a, a, he's yeah. a super player, but he is there some uh, scandalous decisions. Yeah, there. but they they had yeah, him they are, under the thumb. Would you make the comparison, the fair comparison, that they're kind of maybe an even better Edinburgh or a better Munster, or where where do you where Castor do you rank them? have been so consistent for uh, a team which is not packed full of superstars and which has occasionally lost its. Uh, if you recall, they, they used to have uh, Christmas Owe, the one-man team, the one-man gang. Um, but they, they, this is their third final in five years against the big beasts, against Toulouse, Toulon, Racing, uh, Paris, Lyon. A m- m- huge amount of money behind Lyon. Mm. Um, Lyon are in the final, aren't they? No, Montpellier. Montpellier. Also, sorry. also Leon, a Leon, massive sorry. amount of money in Montpellier. Beat too long, but they're yeah, so, there uh, they play in terrible games. Cast Leinster copped a lot of flack for losing to Cast in not obviously the the previous season uh, in that final group match that meant that they we had, had to a much tougher away to much tougher quarter. Yeah. Away in a semi-final, though, wasn't it? Oh, was it away in a semi? Was that yeah. it? So I gave up. So I ended up going yeah. away to Claremont. Yeah, yeah, okay, cool. So, but I mean, Cast have a have a fearsome home record. Just talking about Newcastle and Dean Richards, because it was it was what struck me uh, when I was coming home. Well, I do Did love Dean. The Dean Cast. I think he's, think he's deadly. Well, Dean's nickname when he was playing for England, according to whoever was talking, this. Dowie Morris, was Warren, because it's uh, Warren Ugly Bastard. <laughs> Well, um, was his warm up? Tell us about his warm up. <laughs> he used to pick him up from a roundabout uh, where he'd been doing uh, traffic duty the night before on away matches. And uh, I don't know if it was his warm up or the way home, but they played to my left, which basically they'd all sit around in a circle in the back of the bus and just smack the person to my left. And nobody wanted to, to sit to the left of Dino. Uh, so that's how Leicester were the best English team yeah. of the 90s and noughties. He used to sit in his wilds in the corner of the change room and do the crossword before <laughs> instead of warming up. So that is the legend that is Dean Richards. But what, what made me think of Dino uh, was the... So we're talking about the, the book that I read, uh, that the, Into the Mixer book, and the biggest rule change of football he contended was the back pass. 
that it, it changed what how good centre backs had to be and how keepers played and all yeah. that sort of stuff. And I was trying to think of something comparable in rugby. And what struck me was it's the replacement rule that it used to be you could only bring on subs. Now Lif- lifting the line outs as well. Yeah, I was thinking one. I was thinking of lifting, but guys are still geez, the other thing before I miss it, um, I talked the week before the Leinster Munster semi about Peter Armani being a ten out of ten in the line out and not being like eight or above. Sorry, maybe not even being an anything else. But like his line out play against Leinster was phenomenal. Oh, like, eleven out of ten. I, I was looking at going. That genuinely is a ten out of ten. I mean, that is to have a guy that good at one particular thing is so valuable. It's it's he like was, he was really good in the game. It's like having it's like why Neil Jenkins got picked for the, yeah. the Lions test team in 1997. Like his big <laughs> pass as well was pretty slick. Yeah. So anyway, just on that, but it was I was thinking of uh, Bloodgate, and I understand it was a different situation, but it, like it was basically cheating to get a guy onto the pitch, and that's what you used to have to do. Like mm-hmm. it was only subs in rugby, and then replacements came in, and it's been around for so long that I think it's sort of part and parcel of the game. But it means that you have to have twenty three players, and if I look at Leinster's Heineken, twenty three. Yeah, they brought it in Heineken, the top fourteen first. Yeah, Heineken Cup win. It was based on a 23-man squad, or 22, really. I mean, the, the, the scrum half situation was Leinster's Achilles heel. But in, in any other match, particularly the matches against the English teams, Achilles strength. Uh, Exeter and Saracens, you know, the, the first 15s are pretty evenly matched. But Leinster in the last 25 to... Sorry, but 25 minutes to 15 minutes to go could bring on basically half a team of internationals. Of Grand Slamming internationals. Grand Slamming internationals. Mm-hmm. And their the opposition couldn't. Mm-hmm. And that was that was the difference throughout the season. So bring that, on a half fit Adam Lallana or you bring on Gareth Bale and he scores an overhead kick. That was that was the other comparison I wanted to make. Like if you've got Gareth Bale on your bench, like shit, how do you compete against that? Yeah, because like it's um it's a it's a key element to Leinster's game plan as well. It used to be I remember when it was first brought in the twenty three man bench, the 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 the, uh, the two props on the bench. Yeah. Because previous to that, you having a prop who could scrummage ambiprostrously, a real word, was an, an enormous boom, an incredibly rare. Jean-Baptiste Pooh was the best in the business for that. Do you remember him? It was, it was why Michael Bent was signed. Yeah. Because, okay, he had Irish ancestry, they could get him a passport, but he could play loose head and tight head at a, at a stage where he could only carry one prop on the bench. Yeah. yeah. And it's enormous. And, uh, and then the French were the... It was, in, um, it was in the top 14 for at least one season before it was in the Celtic League. So we were playing, uh, and it was in Europe. The Celtic League was the only competition it wasn't in. So it was a 22-man bench, or sorry, 22-man match day squad in the Celtic League. So we were going into Europe, and we go, oh, we can pick a tight head for this one. But the French were so used to having two props that they could bring on that they started bringing on their props on 50 minutes and 55, as people do today. Whereas we'd be there going, oh, well, hopefully we can get 68 minutes out out of our one prop before we bring them on, and then we forgot we've had the second one on the bench. Yeah. Uh, so it's been it's been a huge change. Uh, that is, and but also just the idea that you take off, even players were performing well. Like Johnny Sexton came off in a final, you know, after sixty one and a half minutes against Scarlet. Uh, you know, maybe to protect them for Ireland playing Australia. But why are you taking Sexton off in a final? This is another thing that well, struck he, me he, that he, if he uh, didn't come off in the in the, in the Champions Cup final. 
No, we did come off in the Pro 12 final. Yeah. The game, I, I thought, if I, if he had one criticism of of Leo Cullen all season, it was the manner in which he substituted Sexton because I was there going, ah, look, this, this match, I think it was 33-11 at that stage. Yeah. And he took him off underneath the the West Stand. So basically, he just, you know, number was put up and he walked off the pitch. And I was there going, you take him off when the play is on the far side of the pitch so the guy can get an ovation. Because we were chatting about this the weekend. I wouldn't and take him off at all. But he he deserved an ovation. Like he 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 played outstandingly well. So anyway, there was I wasn't going to talk about it the previous week. But when I was looking at the way Sexton played against the Scarlets, I thought, my God, like Quinlan and oh. Luke Fitz picked their best Leinster Munster player. Now I understand that any player that you've Wait, played the best with, player or the best team, sorry, their sorry, be, the best combined, team. the best combined team 15, of the, the Heineken 15. Cup era, right? So I can understand if you've played with a guy and you've experienced huge emotional highs and you've seen him at his best, that you will have a preference for him, right? So I, I understand that. And they picked O'Gara ahead of Sexton. But for, forget the head-to-head. Like, I look at what Sexton has done this season and over the course of his career, which has been like starting four Heineken Cup finals, winning the Grand Slam, beating the All Blacks. And there's very few people alive who can remember Jack Kyle play. So Jack Kyle playing in like the early 50s, late 40s, early 50s, which means you have to be in your 70s or your 80s to remember him play. And other than that, like he's better than all the outhouses. He's better than Ollie Campbell, better than Tony Ward, better than Rog... He just has to be. Better than Derek McAleese. Better than... But you, you look at the range he can do, and I, I just I just sort of go, okay, like, he's he's cranky, but... like he's Is he, is he cranky or he's grumpy, not. though? Cranky. Or I'm strepperous. I would call him cranky. I would call him cranky, but just, like, the bloke does not get the love that he deserves. Oh, he absolutely. is... Well, I thought Luke... He's I like, don't know. I thought, I thought player Luke Fitzgerald was... He has it, to be a world player of the year this season. Yeah, but Lucas Gerald, he stabbed him in the back. He stabbed him in the back. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, genuinely, like, there's been Keith Wood was what? Did Keith Wood win the, the first year? Yeah, you know, Keith Wood won it. the first one. And Drico never won it. Even though Drico had an incredible year in 2009, he didn't get it. So, Drico had three nominations. I know these Jamie sort of had two. individual Paulie baubles. Had one. Darcy had one. Yeah. 2004. And I think but that's all the point? Irish players. We were just chatting away. Somebody was recording it, and then we broadcast <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, you were talking about how Johnny played in the final. Oh, it's magic. Yeah, just the fact that Leo should have taken him off. So he had a longer walk, so he I don't get think he should have huge, taken him off at a all. A huge big ovation. That sidestep is what sent Joey Carberry to Munster. <laughs> um, the final was the final was magic. There's not. It was I, a great game. I mean, analysis-wise, there doesn't seem to be an awful lot to talk about. Leinster, <laughs> every one of their tries. Has well, do you not think so? I, you, I know that you talked about it before um, uh, about targeting players, targeting Steph Evans. But the, the funny thing that I thought was that we got value out of targeting Lee Halfpenny to a degree. Like Lee Halfpenny did not have an assured game under <clears throat> under bombardment. I tell you one thing I did notice about this and. Actually, the sem- the final of the uh, Champions Cup as well is that uh, referees are definitely way more lax on knocking on 50-50s in the air from a high balls. Do you think so? I think Leinster have gotten away about five of them. And I think it's fine because like, you, I think those things are totally at random. And if like, two people jump up in the air at the height of their jump, stick their hands in it, and it hits both hands, and it goes one way or the other, I really don't think it should be a knock-on, to be honest. 
I okay, so I think. The, but the, like Rob Carney got away with one in the Grand Slam game against England. I can think of a couple against. Uh, for the try. Yeah. Yeah. The first I uh, yeah. I, I ring rose try. I just think refs are way more lax than them, and I think it's. Fun. I just think it's so difficult to see. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. They're not going like, to stop the game in, they, with no stoppage to mm. to say, oh, can I go back and yeah. check the video? I, I think it's that. fine though. It's it is a complete fifty-fifty. Yeah, I think if they see it, they give it. Yeah. I per, I like the way that they've reduced the telly ref. The reliance on the telly ref. I think Stuart, it's Stuart Berry. Yeah. He just does not care for the television. I think it's great. I hate the telly ref. Um. I also think that the I think the Scarlets really really missed excuse me Ross Barkley and I think that that ties in with the points out oh, <laughs> like Vanderfleer <laughs> oh, they have on the John bench. Barkley John there's Ross Barkley and I don't even respect him as he <laughs> terrible Antonio Conte in <laughs> they missed John Barkley on the bench yeah Everton are in the back garden playing <laughs> pull down the blinds um yeah they, 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 so like Vanderfleer for example gets injured for Leinster and, and Levy Shawnee. and Shawnee gets injured or isn't available all season yeah. and like Levy Levy pops out because Leinster have that depth whereas Barkley's gone for the Scarlets and it, it just means Leinster smashed Tyburn all Barney, day long Cubby Davies Cubby Davies had run out and Cubby Davies doesn't look fit to mind like he doesn't look as fit as what you'd expect like uh, an international open side yeah. like, think of Sam Warburton and to Porridge and to yeah, like like they look, Davies, su- like they're like super fit, super athletes. Carrying a bit of conditioning, and but he was not the. He has, I got to halfway through this season, and his 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 first half of the season was really really impressive, and I earned him that Welsh call up that he'd been denied for so long. But since then, he has, he has just not been the player that he was. I don't know if it's just a long season getting to him, or if it's anything more specific. He might, you know, easily might be carrying an injury yeah. around yeah. him. And then I thought that again, Leinster's the way that they were prepared tactically, the way that they've been coached for that match was really, really good. I thought Robert Carney had had a super game, and what really struck me about Robert was that Jesus, like he's he's playing a total Rob Carney game. He's they're just asking him to do things that he's really, really good at. And as you said, like they, they targeted Halfpenny and they put Rob Carney up against him, and Carney was all over. Yeah. Like Carney owned him in the air, and it, it rattled Halfpenny. Um, and like I think, Half, I think Halfpenny's a super player. Uh, even when he's playing on the wing, I was there going, "God, he's so good! Like he does, he does everything right." But um, it's it, it's like having a player who's ten out of ten or nine out of ten at at, at something. Like if you have got somebody who's so good at something, just keep on getting into situations where you're asking him to do those things. So I thought that was really good, and I thought Luke McGrath, uh, you know, the week that he didn't get picked, had probably his best game of the season for Leinster. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Conan as well. I had uh, Jack Conan, yeah, big uh, game. In terms of the difference between the way we played against him in the semi-final of the Champions Cup and the way we played him against him in the final, it seemed like that we were able to play a lot more of a very game in the final uh, against them. Yeah, well, we chose we chose to play a very game again, and and. I thought that the biggest difference between the semi-final and the final was going to be in the Scarlet's favour and it was going to come from picking Reese Patchell at 10, not Dan Jones. But it didn't have that much of an impact, even though Patchell had, in parts, a good game and showed why he's a threat. Um, but we, we did play more off 10 in the final. And I don't know if it is just a general... Um, because the Heineken Cup is the big tournament and getting that is huge. 
that there was uh, the ability to say this is done we've 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 accomplished a massive thing this season now let's go out and play our best rugby i don't i could be wrong there I maybe it's just the way that they that that uh, Lancaster and Cullen saw the game. I think, I think the confidence and the swagger is a big plus. I think in the, the Heineken Cup semi, we talked about the back three and, you know, how relatively toothless it was, whereas James Lowe was playing. So James Lowe is, is, is this wild card or joker, whatever you want to say it, for Leinster, that whenever they're in the 22... A maverick. Just give Can it. To, maverick? Just give it to James Lowe because he's, he's he's such a good try scorer. He's so good at breaking tackles. He's so good at getting yeah, over the gain line. In God's name, do New Zealand have... Seven him to spare seven wingers Johnny McNichol as well another New Zealander yeah. about a hat trick in a losing cause and who had a blinding game and then again like we just Barkley was a big loss uh, big loss for the Scarlets and Carlets <laughs> but Len- Leinster's Leinster's confidence really good and Leinster knew what they wanted to do against the Scarlets like, I mean they dominated territory dominated possession didn't dominate territory necessarily dominated possession and kept the ball away from the Scarlets and I think they were aware and like to my mind, this is how good Leinster are, particularly when Sexton's on the pitch. That because Pivac referenced the, he thought that the score in the in the, the Champions Cup semi flattered Leinster a little bit because the Scarlets had to chase. Whereas Leinster looked at it and went, if we get far enough ahead of these guys, they're going to have to chase. And as good and all as the Scarlets are, and they looked incredible against Glasgow in the semi. It's a bit like Scotland against Ireland. When you play that game where there's a lot of passes and there's a lot of offloads and you take a lot of chances, that riskier sort of game, when you get tired, those passes don't stick. Mm. And in the second half, the Scarlets put the, they were chasing the game because the, the try they scored at the end of the first half was brilliant and it looked almost at will that they could do it. Mm. But in the second half, when they got tired, so mm. in the second half, when they got tired, those passes went onto the ground yeah. and Levy... Or just went behind people or it just slowed things down. Uh, or the wrong guys get into the first receiver position or a prop, you know, the right guy gets in there and then tries to throw a pass behind and it goes miles behind. And they're the sort of things that just, when you don't have the ball, that kills you because you're banking on scoring these tries, these tries, these tries. So, you know, it's something that we've talked about and we've touched on and we've referenced a number of occasions, the different ways of playing. And to be a great team you have to be able to play in more than one way. Yeah. And we, we talked a little bit before broadcasting or before recording about uh, the Scarlet semi-final against Glasgow, which was a cracker of a first half. That's brilliant. They did a million miles an hour uh, for, from both sides, but much more effectively by the Scarlets. Um, and just as a brief side, you had some thoughts on that and, and I know it comes back to something which we talked about very early in our podcast series during the Six Nations, and specifically with regards to Scotland. Well, I, I wondered, watching the Glasgow first half, because the match was but the match was over a few minutes in the second half, did Finn Russell make the Scarlets look good? Because he was dreadful. He tried all these, he tried stupid kicks and stupid positions. Kicks that even if you do in the, the opposition 22, they're not going to work, and... I'm really I'm, I'm clicking my fingers because I'm trying to remember who did it in the Leinster match. Somebody put up a dink kick, and there was a chase after it, and he couldn't get to it. And like I think it was Luke McGrath, and whoever it was, I think it was Rob Carney chasing. Was it he, wide in the right? Yeah, it was wide in the right. Turned around and, and he turned around and, and looked at him and going like, like, "What the fuck, what was, that? The fuck yeah. was that?" Because yeah. like you see these little dink kicks and they're rubbish. All all, the, all it gives is the, the guy an opportunity to get a mark. Like you either put it on the ground and turn him or you put it up high 
and it's a contestable. Mm-hmm. And like Finn Russell was doing that in his own 22. And you're thinking to yourself, like you're playing against the most dangerous counter-attacking team in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. So that's, again, that's the question. He's off to Rassi Metro, which is where Johnny Sexton went. But like he's following Johnny Sexton and Dan Carter. Like he is... So he like he's he's a massive talented. he's a massive downgrade on those but two. But he's a flake. He's just a flake. Jesus, if um, if uh, Racing could get Machino and what's his name? Who played in the finals? Name? What's his name? Ibarren. Ibarren. Yeah, you get both of them on the same team somehow. Yeah, it's not really. Neither of them are in our half anyway. No, they're not. Um. Um. Anyway, let's see, they have Pat Lambie as well, yeah. and he won't be there for most of the next season, or probably up until Christmas at least. But. Yeah. Uh, there, I would hope that some good comes to to Racing next year. I've been impressed by them. Let's uh, wrap up our talk of the two uh, Leinster Trimes with my conviction that um, the core of the Leinster team who provided, who are as what's Cherry Thorn his phrase, bulk, to combat. bulk suppliers to the uh, um, Irish national squad. Uh, the guys who won that, those three trophies. Yeah, it's uh, amongst the greatest achievements in Irish sporting history. And I think it's somehow underrated, but I think the best since World Cup ninety, and I would, uh, I would, I'd struggle to find anything since that, and very little before it as well. Yeah, like winning. Um, Tony always referred to two thousand nine as Ireland Irish rugby's annus mirabilis, um, and this is without a doubt better. Two thousand nine was. Uh, you know, we, we the, the thing about 2009, which I always remember, was that we were we had just plummeted into an enormous recession, and uh, there had been an enormous uh, the ebb and flow of psychic energy had gone against us. <laughs> it was ebbing. <laughs> <laughs> it was just yeah, ebbing. There wasn't much flow, um, so it was it was a huge fill up to the country to win the the Grand Slam and to win it in, in the last in the last minute that we that we did. Uh, Leinster won the Heineken Cup with a great semi-final win and a you know decent uh, final win, uh, and then Munster uh, won the league in, in that was the last year before there were um, playoffs. Playoffs. Yeah. So that had a bit for everybody. Who won the Celtic Cup that year? In that, um, <laughs> that had a bit for everyone as long as everyone's either a Leinster or uh, a Munster fan. Whereas this year, Leinster won the Heineken Cup. It, they won it this year better than anybody has won it before, um, just by virtue of going through it, not just undefeated, which they've done before, but by winning every game and by beating all these other national champions, national finalists, national league leaders, uh, and then doubling up, which nobody has done before in the Pro 12, Pro 14 Celtic League. So The only team she's done double is Saris, right? No. Saris was Leicester to lose. To lose did the double in their first year winning the... Heineken Cup and Heineken Cup was a four-game thing. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know, being in the same band as the Leicester side of 2001-2002 is a huge accolade because they were amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Saris. And the mid noughties Wasp team. All those yeah, teams were seriously, teams. seriously class teams. You know, and you have to. It's it's it's, it's almost too obvious to say it, but you have to. The players have to go out there and earn those accolades. You don't get; they don't get given the 
the cups or the medals just because they're wearing a blue jersey and they're playing nice rugby. Mm. They have to go out and earn, or because previous Leinster teams wore a blue jersey and these are following on, they actually have to go out and earn every single, every single point that they that they scores is earned. So it's been a phenomenal campaign um, for for uh, for Leinster. Who have, and looking at this, I mentioned to you briefly earlier is that looking at the the squad that's going to Australia, it's Leinster have 17 players in that, which is almost triple the next supplier of Munster, who have six. Uh, and that's not double, that's triple. You know, so they are bulk suppliers <laughs> to Ireland. Moving on, um, Ireland squad to Australia was announced uh, last week, about a week ago, and then today there was the further announcement that um, Rory Best won't be going, Scannell will be going out instead of him. Was there another addition as well today? Or was that just it? No, that was that it. Was it. Um, notable absentees for me were... Um, Clifford Chance. <laughs> Max Deegan, uh, not called up, Um which might seem unusual, but like because he's only you know he's been a bit part player for Leinster, but very much sort of the you know next back row to come, and he'll probably replace Jordy in the squad. But I thought this would be a tour for blooding a few of those players, and I think a guy like Deegan, who's extremely athletic and fast, great ball carrier on the hard pitches in Australia, would be uh, a real excitement, exciting thing. But instead, we've gone like full strength. Um, what do you think we can expect from this tour in terms of like the opposition we're playing and the results we can expect? We haven't gone on a, a serious Southern Hemisphere tour since the South Africa one, and we should have won that with a much weaker squad. Yeah, it's a, it's a very good question. I don't know what to expect because uh, Australia haven't played in such a long time. Uh, their last match was in November, and I think the last time they played, they got whipped badly by Scotland. Um so I don't know how good Australia... The, the fortunes of their um, Super Rugby teams have been bleak. Um, they uh, The Waratahs eventually broke the, the Australian duck against New Zealand teams after 42 games or 42 losses in a row. Uh, That's a insane record. But it's... it's yeah, exactly. Uh, when you see the Australian squad announced... There are some unknown names, but there's a lot of good players in there. Um, Curly Beal, Kuradrani, uh, Foley, Izzy Folau, Like, There's a lot of good players there. Hooper Pocock. The guys that you expect to see, Seo, uh, Kepu. But it is depth where I think they will be challenged. They have uh, three young hookers Stephen Moore's retired after a monumental career and Pilata now is on the way out. So Hooker is a position where they are experimenting a little bit. Um, I am really unsold on three-story Rory in terms of um, in terms of second role play. I don't think that James Horwell ever really fulfilled the potential he showed at the start of his career as a, as a second row. Will Skelton, a bit of a, an, an enigma for a guy who is physically capable of, of pretty much everything, um, hasn't, didn't really pan out. So 
they have this undersized back row if they play Pocock and Hooper together. Not sure in their second row, and then they have a new hooker. So I suppose what I would say, uh, the most recent memory of Australia in the Northern Hemisphere is getting hosed by Scotland when they had a player sent off, and then getting hosed the week before by England in Twickenham. Um, beating Wales has become customary, but their their last match in the Southern Hemisphere was beating New Zealand, and uh, Czech has been very consistent in the team that he's picked, and he's he's kind of given like his sound bites have been, oh, we've changed the team. And uh, we've blooded, you know, a lot of new players, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, obviously the, the numbers stack up. He's not lying about it. But I think it betrays the amount of caps that the first 15 have and how consistently he picks a team around that first 15. Like, I, I had a look at it. Uh, the first 15 has nearly 800 caps, which is an enormous amount. It's... it's uh, like Stuart Lancaster's magic number was six hundred and sixty-three, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. which is which is basically forty caps a man. The, the Aussie like have forty-one average starts, uh, and then another twelve off the bench. So Ireland are going down to play a really experienced team. So even and even if he bloods a few guys here and there, the core of the team um, is knows exactly what they're doing. Like Genia, Foley, Beal, Kuradrani, Izzy Falau. And even if he changes a few guys around there. You're, Nick you're, Phipps has been Yeah, Nick yeah. Phipps, you know, like maybe. But there, there's a lot of caps there. Michael Hooper's uh durability is incredible. My, uh, how many how many test starts do you reckon Hooper has off the top of your head? Sixty eight. Seventy three. Oh, or what? He's he's twenty. He's tw- he's not even twenty-seven. I would have said forty-five. He's not even twenty-seven. He's got nearly eighty caps. It's it's quite incredible. But I mean, uh, like Kepu's got over ninety caps. Uh, Simmons got over eighty caps. Like yeah. they've 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 a very experienced Simmons team. Is not that good to have eighty caps, God. Yeah, but they're a team. They're a team. They've beaten the All Blacks in the last uh, twelve months. So I think that because England beat them three 0 the last time uh, yeah, a Grand Slam winning, yeah. yeah, the last time a Grand Slam winning team went down there, I think the people are sort of expecting of what Ireland are going to have. What I find interesting about Beth's withdrawal is that they haven't named a, a replacement captain. They've said the two vice captains might share the captaincy through the. And that's Omani. And it's Omani and Sexton, and the reason that I find it interesting is that why not just appoint one of them? And I guess the reason is you don't appoint Sexton because he already has enough going on. And you don't appoint Omani because you're going, is he guaranteed to start? Mm-hmm. Reminding that like Omani was on the bench when Heaslip and Sean O'Brien geez, were, were, both, were both playing. So that, that would be my take on the two. Uh, and that's why he hasn't decided to name either of the two guys. Again, my opinion. Um, the other one is that uh, when do you make James Ryan captain of Ireland? Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I was going to say. I reckon say. that'll be after the World Cup rather than, uh, rather than leading into it. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think it's like it's going to happen at some stage. Mm. Um, so that's that. In terms of like when, when the squad was picked, <laughs> my immediate reaction, I had to check myself, was, oh my God, Rob Herring's going as the third choice hooker. And I went like, how, how nerdish is that? So really... <laughs> 
like the, compared to say Wales and Scotland, Ireland's you know bar Rory Best this afternoon. Ireland are bringing down all their big players that are available. Everyone that's available is going to go. That's because Joe Schmidt uh, really values uh, pitch training time. So like Furlong's going, Sexton's going, Murray's going. Jared Payne retired this week, officially announced, and Sean O'Brien isn't going. Yeah. So you you know you you'd be worried for Shawnee like just being injured that much all the way through the season when you sort of go he's the only and, and, be, and you know you'd be a bit worried about Bestie um, who's, who's that age and you know you've talked about it in particular like you know is Bestie going to make it all the way through to Japan so that, that that's what hit me uh, Quinn Rue you pointed out to me that Quinn Rue had been selected mm. so we brought 17 guys 17 forwards 14 backs to Japan America last year we brought 18-14 split the South Africa, yeah. South Africa two years ago. So the extra man in in terms of like the step up from seventeen to eighteen is that extra second row slot. So like Quinn Roo is the extra man. I struggle to see the logic. You did. You actually mentioned it to me beforehand though, and that it allows him to have full eight on eight scrums. Yeah, it allows them to play basically two first. It, like you know, if everyone's okay, you can play two fifteens against each other, but definitely do two eight on eight scrums. Um, and then so I'm sort of querying like where where does it leave Tyke Byrne yeah that's what I was saying well I think Quinn Rue is the luckiest man I think he's far luckier than Rob Herring who Rob Herring is is like um, you know he's one of these orphans in Irish rugby in that he didn't come through a provincial academy system he's South African by birth uh, and South African by being a South African yeah Um, but I think Rob Herring's been really good and I think he's carried a big load himself and Cooney have been the players who have led in Ulster um, I think that Niall Scanlon has had a, a very ordinary season in which he's been outplayed by uh, Rhys Marshall, who's been great. And, and Tracy's had a pretty good season, but um, isn't... Uh, like, at international level, is, is you know a good, decent, hard-working player, but is not going to give anybody... Tracy's kind of not let anyone down yet, I think. Yeah, he's not going to give anyone fits either, though. Yeah. So I think Herring, Herring didn't surprise me. Quinn Rue uh, did surprise me. I would. I thought that Alton Delan would go if they were looking for. Yeah. I think Alton is probably still more upside to him than Quinn Rue does. He's he's a bit younger, maybe two and a half years younger, and people like him. Well, he's a better carrier. It's not just that people like him. He's a better carrier. He's a better tackler. He's a yeah. worse scrummager. He's a wor- Yeah, he's a worse scrummager. Yeah, Quinn Rue's huge. Yeah. Quinn Rue is a monster of a scrummager and Alton Delan is Bambi on and the, the, the Rob Herring thing isn't as much a justification of Rob Herring it's just that uh, Scannell Tracy and Heffernan went on the Japanese tour last year yeah, and none of them out, yeah. none of them are touring this time around so well, Scannell now is touring Scannell's, Scannell's yeah. touring um, so like and Scannell in particular like Scannell I remember I tweeted like how soon is it before James Ryan captains and you know a number one, I remember one guy in particular came back and he goes oh it depends what Niall Scannell and I went you know, maybe. Yeah. Scannell, because, I mean, certainly Scannell played very well again on this Japanese tour. Mm-hmm. And certainly he, he seems... So last year when Rory Best pulled out. Yeah, he played against Italy, I think. Yeah. yeah. Played and, well. and played very well. And, and he's he, a good player. And, he, and he's know? captain of 20s. And he seems to be a guy who comes across very well as a captain. He gets on well with so refs. Was that commentary... Plays in the right position. Depends on Scannell when he overtakes best or whether he'll be the next captain that he could be the next that captain that he could be the next captain oh, of Ireland he could be the next long term captain of Ireland That's what I, mean. I thought it's reasonable but then you look how difficult it is to play international rugby and to compete consistently that like it's it's a big assumption that he's going to do it so I thought geez, like he's really he's really missed out an opportunity to because I mean the, being on this tour is huge no oh. like it, it's 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 
like Joe Schmidt values pitch time so much that it's it's an opportunity. Like if you're not going, you've got to pull out some season next year to get picked for the World Cup. And some yeah. guys will do it. Like you yeah. did something about the 10-10-10 split, particularly two years out of who goes on tour. Uh, guys get injured, guys come into form, but like to 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 break into that thirty two, you're gonna have to have a difficult. great. You're gonna have to have a great Very season. Difficult, but doable. Difficult, but, but doable. Difficult. Yeah, it really is quite tight. I'm, I'm just looking at the backs, and because you mentioned Rory O'Loughlin, I thought about how good a game he had, and how valuable a player he is, and his versatility for Leinster. Yeah, and he's really just like a, a real reliable. And you've made a comment before about how he, you thought they'd pick him against Munster because. Guy like Noel Reed never gets picked against Munster. You pick a guy like Rory or Lachlan pretty much every time. Yet they have to. Nowhere near the squad, or maybe maybe near the squad, but like not in the squad. No, but say, like Sammy Arnold, a lot of people were saying, "Oh, Sammy Arnold has a good chance of yeah. getting into that." But then like, you look, the young I guys are like didn't necessarily see that with Sammy, and I didn't think that Rory Lachlan was going to get in this time either. No, I I, I didn't. But the standard is so yeah, high. Is is really like it's, it's like your your outsiders, your like youngest wildest cards. Are like Jordan Armour, who's the most exciting talent in Leicester rugby, and possibly the most exciting talent in Irish rugby at that age. And fucking Stockdale, he's been superseded as the most exciting talent. Yeah, by Stockdale. scoring the six tries already, it's not exciting. Stockdale, brilliant. Like. Stockdale's <laughs> season's been incredible for a kid, but it, it's just a really high standard. And you know, the guy who would have got in there if he wasn't injured is, is Chris Farrell. Yeah, um, he would have gone instead of. Ooh. Good question. I don't know. Yeah, if I don't know. I don't know if he would have gone. I think so. Yeah, but he's he's, yeah, he's bringing he's bringing Aki he's bringing Aki Henshaw and Ringrose in the yeah. centre, and he's who is who's in the back? So it's it's Earl. He's got Earl Stockdale, Carney. Conway, Larmer, Rob Carney, and then he's got Jesus. Got, yeah, there's no fat in that squad, is there? No, it's no. There's well, Ross Byrne is the. There's questions about Ross Byrne. But that's your, you know, like you're not going to stick in uh, Ringrose at 10. No. In, in a disaster. Yeah. Or John, 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 John Cooney, you know I mean? John, yeah, yeah, John Cooney. It's a good class. question. I don't know if it's, I, I he's, he's, like, <laughs> I'm always, Aeroflot's biggest defender. He is, he isn't the least experienced and the least accomplished of those, of those, ba- of those backs. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying, um, is is he fat in the squad? I think a third out of half is not fat in the squad. You know, if your first out of half gets injured, <laughs> here comes Captain Obvious. <laughs> that third out of half becomes your second out of half. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just like Joe has gone with Ian Keatley before. Joe started Ian Keatley in a Six Nations game, yeah. uh, but the clock has turned away from me. <laughs> I don't know what. Doom, what do you say? The doomsday clock is at two minutes past midnight for Ian Keatley. <laughs> the shadow has passed on Ian Keatley. Something has happened to people's uh, people's opinions of Ian. Not necessarily their opinions, but how they their judgment of him is that he is yesterday's man. Now. I don't what? think anyone thinks any worse of him as a player. I just think that I felt like he was sort of given this season because he was the safest pair of hands in Munster. And it was going to be a, a difficult season with the coach change in the middle of it. And he's a reliable guy. Yeah. Uh, and, and he then, mostly did okay this and season. And he mostly did fine. And he got them to the semi-final. And then he didn't have a good game in the semi-final. Not a particularly bad game. But I thought he was quite poor, actually. He wasn't the only one, but yeah, he was. He wasn't a Loris yeah. Carrius style. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Um, out. Out. <laughs> but, I don't know why I'm laughing at that. But, like, you know, it, it just wasn't particularly good. And everyone was like, ah, yeah, well, sure. 
maybe he's not on a European Cup winning out half. We probably already knew that, you know. Um, sorry, going off the point here. Um, what was I talking about? We were talking about we were talking about Ross Byrne getting yeah. into that that squad. Like, who would you leave? Who would you leave here if they bring Chris Farrell? But that's the standard is extremely high. Chris Farrell was a man of the match in the Six Nations, mm. and you'd be legitimately going, Jesus, can we even bring him? So you know, Sam Arnold, who is you know really diligent, hard worker, um, good season, great, good season, great rugby league attitude. Uh, he's he wasn't. I would I would suggest he wasn't actually that close. To making yeah. the squad. So remarkably, also how many of our players are fit in the backs as well. That's good. Yeah, that's, that's a good great. point. Mm-hmm. Um, and Joe, other players who are who are like Luke McGrath would be quite a reasonably big name to miss out. Reese Ruddock, I think, would be the biggest name to miss out. Now, Reese hasn't played an awful lot of games this season, but he started the season at a million miles an hour. He did captain the last Irish tour as well. Yeah. Yeah, so we're talking about Jordy going, and I, I mentioned when we were chatting off air, but I think I think it, it's it's worth mentioning. Jordy has toured. He toured Argentina. He went to the World Cup. He toured South Africa, and now he's touring Australia. So the big four tours that we've done in the last four uh, yeah, in the last well, going back to twenty fourteen yeah. for the for the RG tour. He's only one of eight guys, and now Bestie's not going, so he's one of seven. So the the other fellas who are in that squad, Jack McGrath. As I said, Bestie was picked and isn't going. Dev Toner, Ian Henderson, Connor Murray, Keith Earls, Robbie Henshaw. And you go, God, like, that is that is good company mm-hmm. to be keeping. So that's just why, if, you, if you're going on this tour, Joe Schmidt likes you. Uh, you know, it's we're 14, 15 mm-hmm. months out from a World Cup, and he's not a guy that changes his mind very easily. Mm-hmm. Um and I think the other thing is just who's who's their fullback if Rob Carney doesn't play. I think it's um, I think it's Larmer, but then the other option would be Andrew Conway. Yeah. yeah. Stockdale could play there. He's played there the twenties. Oh, I hate, no, I hate, I hate Stockdale as a fullback. Jesus, oh, no. I wouldn't play him a fullback. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say he'd be fourth choice fullback. I think we're not going to come into that situation. Although. Let's see if we can segue this somehow. Who would be a fullback who's going on who, that who, tour? Who has occasionally who played fullbacks before? You know, he's he's a, a cause celebre, a bit of a fullback. Uh, is it Keith Earls? Uh, he played fullback a little bit. <laughs> no, no. Robbie Henshaw. <laughs> that's that's not no way. No way. Lamour. <laughs> no, no, no way. They've all they've all fancied themselves as fullbacks, except for Joey Carby who fancies himself. As a who's the odd one out? He's the one who's wearing a hat. <laughs> <laughs> They're making him play ten and not fullback. <laughs> um, so it's come to this. Joey Carberry is moving to Munster. today's uh, today being um, Thursday, thirty Dateline, thirty first uh, of of May. The, the hot new, news hot off the press for our dinner was that Joey Carberry was uh, was going to. Uh, Munster for certainly the next season and then 19 million <laughs> deadline transfer date anyway um, let me refer to my notes my furiously written <laughs> notes um, we were trying to work out and I, I mean uh, I don't think we ever got to the exact conclusion Joey's problem is that uh, the national team coach wants him to play 10 before the World Cup um, how many games did Joey Carberry miss as a number 10 this season when he was fit and Johnny Sexton uh, wasn't fit good 
question. So Joey Kirby broke his arm, which is why he missed. Well, the- I did. He, I have the feeling that he also came back late. He got injured uh, after some horrible game against Japan in, in summer, and I think he missed a few games or he missed preseason or something like that. He injured himself against the states, didn't it's he? The states was it? Oh, Fiji. No, 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 he injured his ankle. In against oh, the sorry, during the summertime, yeah. Yeah, came back late, um, then injured, broke his arm against Fiji. Now, so was the Montpellier arm broken for him? Yeah, he took the ball very flat. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, I think the reason that uh, jo- uh, Joey missed so many games, potentially playing 10 for Leinster last season, was because his arm was broken. Rather than it's certainly a big I, factor. I'm I'm not sure about the exact number of games, but I will say that in league matches, Joey Carberry started six games at fullback for Leinster last season. <laughs> Did that the season just the, the season just gone, and he started one at number ten, and then in Heineken Cup matches, he started the first two matches at fifteen. And including the one against uh, Montpellier that opened where Ross Byrne started at 10. Mm-hmm. So he's... I always look at that in that Ross Byrne can't play 15 and Joey Carberry can't. So you don't go and pick. If you don't have Sexton available to you, you don't... Uh, or And Robert. Yeah. You don't mm-hmm. say, oh, I'm going to pick Joey Carberry and have decent cover on the bench. I don't know who the fuck I'm going to pick at 15. But, but without getting mired in detail... Let's just say Joey Carberry did not play much 10 for Leinster this not season. So what, what are the other questions? Okay. Um, Leinster are facing a significant skills drain with the uh, transfer of Joey Carberry and the retirement of Eason Asewa. Uh, there are two players who can play a multitude of positions in the back yeah, line. They're both point. also one, like one of the greatest players of all time. And like just let's just give a little tribute to him. What, oh, what a absolutely. hero. What a hero. And maybe we'll play it with some ease of related music somehow. But Joey Carby, like one of the most talented like players to come through Leinster's system. And we're losing a huge amount of talent with that. And I know we've just won everything and maybe we can't have everything all the time. But there are players. How are Leinster going to deal with that? Where does the where does the backup come there? The reinforcement, reinforcements, I should say, rather than backup. Well, I, I don't think it does. Uh, so Tamani's name has been mentioned in dispatches, and I think, and and, and for a while, and it, it was it was printed this week. So McCarry was the first person to mention it. A good, a good few weeks ago, I'd say, if, I'd say a month ago, and nobody really picked up on it. So I thought it died death, but then it came back into. So the, the Tamani signing will be very good. He's not going to have the same impact at Leinster that he's in a Seba had over the course of his career, and it's testament to how clever and how tough a player that he's a is was um that even you know sort of one leg for most of this season and you know kicking out in the fall every time he played in the left wing he he, he was still it, it like it didn't affect him when he in, in really big matches when he did really bad things he still did like in his next breath he did something really good just basics like he didn't get rattled by it and it was um it's a far cry from these in Asiba who ripped open Toulouse and Leicester yes, in 2011 because you know he's at a different stage of life but um, again, you got to be able to play well in different ways, and and he was really able. He was really able to do that. In terms of Carberry, I, like thinking about the this early on and seeing some of the comments before I stopped reading. As in a lot of things in Irish rugby, this really falls along provincial fault lines. Like if you if you're from Munster, 
this is a great idea. It, everyone's a winner. If you're from Leinster, it's a dreadful idea. The, and if you're from Ulster, you've been shafted. It's also a dreadful idea. Like when the when the move to Ulster for <laughs> thank Rockford, God you, <laughs> you, you oh that bomb still ticking. <laughs> I thought I'd defuse that. That's the Joey Carberry bomb. That's just gone off. Um, I thought, like, oh, it makes sense for Ulster in that, you know, they don't have an out half. Yeah, Leinster, Leinster you, have three. laid off the Ulster out half. Yeah. So yeah. Made a, a, there was some sort of, if you were f- looking at it from an Ulster point of view, there was a real fairness in that. We laid this guy off, but we're going to get you a new one. And he's going to be an Irish qualified. And, and that... You, that's that may, that passes the eye test, I think. Yeah, it did for me. Whereas this one is just this is the green team. This is Schmidt going. I want to have two guys in every position who are playing Heineken Cup rugby, particularly at halfback, who are who are starting. And Joe's, so Joe's playing super dumb on this one. Joe's like, who's, oh, did this happen? <laughs> who's who's going? To, who's going? Oh, that's Nusa Four. Nusa Four takes all the shit for this. But you're going. I don't know. I mean, like this is Schmidt has pushed for this, and Nusa Four is the hatchet man who's gone and done it. Hatchet man from Leinster, like Jesus, he's Santa Claus from Munster's point yeah. of view. And I think as well, so, that there's an element to it that. Um, his advisors, his advisors, who would be his agent and probably his father, are uh, you know they're, they're, the lines are so wide that you, reading between them is all you can do. You know, if they say, "Are you interested in going to Ulster?" It's not just like saying it's not like it's not like somebody down the pub or somebody from your rugby club. Would you would you think about going to Ulster? If the Irish coach asks you, "Mano or Mano, are you interested in going to Ulster?" He's there going. That's more or less that's the same question is I would like you to go to Ulster. Mm. It's not just a it's not just a like a little query how are things going along. So um I think that I've I've sort of become uh I can see I can see the logic to it, you know, that he goes uh, from from Joe Schmidt and, and uh and Nusa Forest's point of view and that he goes down and plays at Murray and he plays for Munster for a season or two seasons, I think. Uh, Munster are big enough uh, to tr- to to get the two seasons out of him. I don't think that they'd accept the idea that he's just going to go down there to prep for the World Cup by playing at 10. Um, so, Well, I was wondering about that. Like, yeah, what say, It doesn't do them was, any good. There, there's a few things. Like, season. I mean, when Joe Schmidt took over, uh, he was very much seen as the Leinster coach and he was seen as having a Leinster bias and picking, seen as blue, picking Joe, blue Joe and picking all these guys who were Leinster subs ahead of Ferg. guys who were starting for months. Yeah, Ferg and all, yeah, all this sort of stuff. Whereas you're looking at it this afternoon and you're going, Jesus, like you, you can't accuse Schmidt of having a Leinster bias by stripping Leinster's best young player <laughs> and, and and just planting him into Munster. Oh, now, where's James Ryan gone? Question. Oh yeah, of course. Ah, you know my feelings. Uh, no, I'll take it back. James Ryan is Leinster's best young player. <laughs> but um, the the other the um, so my questions about the move are: What happens if Carberry's not playing particularly well? That's and and JJ Hanron starts playing really really well. Like I mean, do do they just go look? The only reason Carberry is down here is to start big matches at ten. So I. I'm kind of, I'm opposed to the socialist model. Like, Irish rugby operates a federal system, mm-hmm. and it works. Mm-hmm. And I'm opposed, I, like, I just, I don't like the communist idea where one guy just goes, you're going here, piece of meat, and you're going here, piece of meat, and you're going, like, I, I don't like it. The, I, I think, on, and look, on the argument and, that and, this it, is, and this is the reason... It removes the kind of impetus to actually produce your own players... 
or it's like that it removes the the structural rivalries which fuel the game or see i don't think it really uh, removes any of the rivalries i think the rivalries are always going to be there between provincial fan sets uh, i think some of the rivalries are very strong and, and they have different tastes like munster and, and leinster have a particularly uh, bickering familial rivalry Whereas Ulster and Munster, I don't think that's a familial rivalry at all. I no, think it's near the twain shall meet. Yeah, I don't think that they... Uh, I think that. I think Ulster dislike Munster, and Munster can't quite understand how much they're disliked or why they're disliked so yeah. much by Ulster. And also just think that they're Brits. You know? Yeah. Uh, I think that they're no crack. I mean, so you go back to the, the sort of the, the fanning... There's Ulster fans who come to Irish matches are the best crack. Well, they're absolutely sauced. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> You've been drinking for two hours. <laughs> they're <laughs> fucking amazing. Yeah, but I mean, they're polluted as anyway, well. You don't like the idea that we're being passed... The players are being passed around as a piece of meat to fulfil a space... I don't think... I think if the player... I think if the player wants to go, but I, I think you're in an awkward situation, so obviously moving Carberry down to Munster... If Joe, like, if Jay, like, Joe's JJ, like, JJ, been on the record and said that he wanted to stay in Lancer, and now he's saying, "Oh, I'm, I think this is." He's, he's he's going down there to play Heineken Cup matches. Like Munster are a team that are regular semi-finalists at this stage. They're really competitive. Uh, Schmidt needs two top quality out halves going into a World Cup that he must think he can win, and that he has a chance of winning. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason Carberry's going there. Like he's he's not going for the good of Joey Carberry's career in the long term. He's not going for the good of Munster. He's not going for the good of JJ Hanneran's career. He's going there to give Schmidt the option that he wants going into the 2019 World Cup. And tough shit, Leinster. And I'm done with it. Um, and, you, you, and I just I maybe this one will work out, but I'm I'm just not a fan. I'm not a, like if the player the player should want to go, and I like so. The, the one that comes to mind, counter that, is Jordy Murphy. So people talk about Jordy Murphy being disappointed. I wrote about Jordy Murphy, and if I'm repeating myself, I'm going to do it again. Jordy Murphy, I wrote after the 2015 World Cup, Jordy Murphy had to choose a, has to choose a position to get the most out of his career. It may not seem like that now that he's just won a Heineken Cup and he's, he's torn with Ireland again, but when that guy goes in like six or seven years, which I think he'll get out of his career, all going well for him, hopefully he will be able to look back at having got the best out of himself in the last five of those careers. So he might have had his career highlights early on, but he actually played his best rugby because mm. he played one position. Because mm-hmm. you just you will not play your best rugby hopping you around. Think, you think he can't do that in Leinster? No, because in Leinster, he is seen as a great squad guy who's a versatile utility yeah, player. Yeah. And he might be seen as that in Ireland, but he has to play in a position for Ulster that allows him to be the best Let's he can be. Let's talk about some other guys who've, who've made trips across because I think it's, it's a, an interesting thing to... A guy who left out of choice, as he uh, he's referred to a number of times, Andrew Conway. Yeah. Who was a, an enormous underage I'm sure star. He was always a Lunster. Uh, but a huge underage star. Uh, an amazing under-20s player for, for two years. And got an early break as an 18, maybe a 19-year-old under Michael Checa for Leinster. Played about 40 games for Leinster before deciding to leave at the end of the 2012-13 season, in which he'd played in the in a winning uh, Pro 12 final. Um, now, his first two seasons in Ulster were... Munster. In sorry, Munster. excuse me. In Munster were more or less the same Andrew Connor that we had seen in his last season for Leinster, and that was okay. Yeah. Um, but not the same player, not the player that we'd expected him to be. Whereas his uh, 
the season just gone where he'd been unlucky to miss the Six Nations squad mm-hmm. with a knee injury and the season previous to that where he scored 10 or 11 tries for Munster he had really stepped up and again he was in, in my opinion I know Earl's got a try and Zebo got a lot of camera time but he was the most dangerous of the Munster back three players against Leinster in the semi His try against Toulon His try against Toulon, try against Toulon was but brilliant Aside from that we've talked about it briefly before in that he had turned himself from being a guy who was capable of the incredibly special feats that we saw at under 20 level into a guy who was the Dave Carney version 2.0 uh, and I'm talking about Dave Carney at his best mm-hmm. and an incredibly hard working uh, winner Diligent a guy who's a cross but yeah, yeah didn't sack her. phenomenal great chaser air, great in the stuff, air yeah. hits rooks and works his ass off all over the, the park so his move to Munster I'm not sure I'm not sure if, if moving really did uh, an awful lot for him. Uh, you look at some of the players who played in his stead in Leinster when he was away and, you know, who got game time and they, they weren't as accomplished players as he was. So maybe it just took him some time to mature. Another one um, I refer to is Kean Keller, who Pat Lamb was very happy about. Um, Pat Lamb was extremely happy about convincing him to come to Connacht. Then Lamb left Connacht and Kean Keller, who, who had massive... Uh, kudos when I uh, was you know supposed to be a huge loss to Leinster not that he's disappeared without trace but he's gone to Connacht and you know it's been an underwhelming couple of seasons from him whereas Leinster have gone from strength to strength and you've had a chap coming in from uh, the uh, AIL and Barry Daly who's finished us up as top scorer in the, in the Pro 14 yeah I think it's it's difficult though to to directly make a line from junior rugby to senior rugby yeah that's true what I mean is that for just for players because somebody's a really good underage player doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be a really really good senior player Uh, I think it's a good indicator it it is a good indicator and I think that guys uh, the the guys going on tour who jump out are John Cooney who we've talked about and Ty Byrne who we've talked about in previous editions they're guys that have uh, prospered from moving moving yeah and 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 getting their rugby and getting their game time so but i think they want like, john ryan is also like he's 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 done well by staying in yeah monster. he was a late he was a late comer into the monster senior ranks i think he was maybe 24 or 25 before he became a senior contracted player yeah and i think he was a ucc guy like g- going back to the idea of the centralized planning and and, and i five-year plan I'd, I'd argue that it's... I just think, like, the, the two names that we talk about, Madigan and Jackson, shit happens. Like, it, it's difficult... It, it's difficult to try to plan everything rigidly yeah. over the course of four or five years because they were, they were the other two guys that went to the World Cup in 2015 with Sexton. And yeah. if you were to... And if you were to sit down... 20, if you were to sit down and look at that squad, you go, all of those three guys are going to be there the next time around. Well, hopefully Sexton will be... And we'll be much stronger back then. And two of those guys, well, you were saying, he, if he really wants to, he can pick Madigan oh, to exactly. go to the World Cup. Because I, I just like, I don't think he can. I think the IRFU, I think it opens the floodgates. I think it sets a precedent. Like I, 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 I've had this written down for a number of weeks, so I want to say it. Say it. Zebo kept on referring to Sexton going abroad to Racing, and he got picked. And I think the thing that should be stressed about this was when Sexton signed for. Uh, for Racing, he wasn't negotiating with Nusifora. He was negotiating with the Blazers. So the Blazers fucked it up, right? He was negotiating with Pat Whelan, 
with uh, your man from PwC, Martin O'Sullivan is the guy from Limerick, and yeah. uh, your man, uh, what's his name? Grace. Right, so Grace was the one who sort of tied the strings, and they said, well, we're not going to pay him. Who does he think he is? Right? Old farts. The 57 old farts thing. And Sexton went, I'm out of here. And Schmidt goes, I'm a pro. He's a pro. I'm picking him. And the IRFU have made the decision, and they went and they got new Sephora. Nobody that new Sephora has negotiated with and has left has got picked for Ireland. Right? And, and, and I, think that, I think it is worth highlighting. Because it's it's it was the last of the amateur. It's a really good point. Era. Yeah. My point would be that when World Cup you're better off. You have a four month window leading into it. You know you start in summer, uh, and you have your you have a camp and players have their two week break off or whatever. Um, but that you have those four warm up games. You have all a month and a half training beforehand. If if Joe goes, if 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 there's a case of oh, who do I pick for this. Uh, tournament and it came down to a choice between uh, sorry for doing this Ian Keighley Ian Keighley or Ian Madigan he'd go listen I'm just going to pick Madigan mm. you know and then and then people could still go abroad and go Madigan got picked for this and he goes yeah needs must needs and they never said the rule out loud which is brilliant yeah yeah um, and like the, re- the, the reason I want to make this comparison I think it's legitimate because for I, I, and again, we, we're saying things that we've said before. When Ian Madigan played for Joe Schmidt, he played really well. Uh, also, he's a, a superb goal kicker. So those are important things. Ian Madigan's slumping form came with playing under Matt O'Connor. Like Ian Madigan, and it's, it's mentioned, uh, Johnny Sexton mentions it in his autobiography, Ian Madigan came relatively close to making the lines in 2013. That's how well he was playing at the time. Uh, like he was in, he was in the, mm. he was in the wider bracket. He was in the bolter bracket, mm-hmm. and and since then, you know, he won the two uh, goal kicking awards for the golden boot for the Pro Twelve at the time, and you know he's had another kick the letter off the goal posts <laughs> season for Bristol. Um, so uh, to me, he's a guy who, if Ross Byrne doesn't turn out to be um, what Joe Schmidt is looking for, and I think Ross Byrne has sort of picked a little bit under. Uh, I think there's there. I think in in bringing Ross Byrne, he's also there is a some politicization of the selection that he's saying to Lesnar, but you also have another second choice international out half. I thought it was a carriage to get Ross Byrne to go up to Ulster. I thought that it was a sort of a you know a bit of a trade off. Is in Ross, well, you know, you're in the Irish squad now, but you need to really be the first choice. And go up there. Maybe that's because I wanted him to leave rather than Carberry, you know, from a from a Leinster supporter point of view. Um, that said, and like this is my <laughs> this is my time to row back and all the things. Like is that, is that how good Rob Kearney is? Ross Byrne is like he's a great survivor, and he's like good things happen around him. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's a slower. He's a he has a. Um, what, what do they say to the Beatles? Like you know you. What did they say? You can't bigger sing. Bigger than Jesus. Has he said bigger than <laughs> Jesus already? <laughs> Joey or Ross Byrne? I was a bit like the Kit Kat. Like, I mean, you, you know, you, you can't sing, you can't dance, you, you go, go a long way. way. Um, th- there's a bit of that. I think it's, a, it's just a lower trajectory with Ross Byrne. And the Carberry. Oh, Carberry just glides his way through, finds the space, has support. Wonderful stuff by Carberry and by Leinster. There it is again. We, we spoke about the great feet of Joey Carberry. Look at those feet. 
That's something to look forward to for many years to come. Leinster fans will be hoping. As well as bidding farewell to Ethan Asabo's career, we're bidding a slightly less fond farewell to the BNI Cup, which has provided an opportunity for a load of uh, up-and-coming players at Leinster in particular to prove themselves. And obviously, like it's been an important preview, and you see how successful their youth, uh, the youth policy at Leinster is. Well, the thing that brought the BNI Cup to mind in this conversation was the discussion about Bill Johnson, because the last Irish team to win the BNI Cup were Munster last season. Now, Leinster were beaten in the final recently by was it Ealing, Ealing Jersey, Finders, Ealing, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, having beaten Jersey in a in a semi final that was <laughs> was completely below the radar because I think it was on the same weekend as ah, I was on the same weekend as a big Leinster match I can't remember which one it was I think it was it was a semi-final I think it was probably the same because the, well, yeah. the final was on the same day as the, the Champions Cup final so. yeah yeah um, that they came back from the dead like uh, scored three tries in the last eight minutes and what's been there's been noise about the AIL uh, replacing it and being a great opportunity for the AIL and I am dead set against that I think it's a terrible idea um, I think that the professional game and the amateur game do not mix. I think the amateur game isn't capable. I think it, I think at the amateur game, the amateur game has basically just been it's just been ransacked. If if this is what's going to go ahead, it's the professional guys and it's new Sephora for whatever reason deciding that you know the BNI Cup has gone. We need something to replace it. I'm just going to drop in a load of guys into the AAL because that's there already. And to be quite honest, he could fuck right off if. Uh, well, that's my take on it. Mm. And if it meant getting involved, you know, again, on whatever it took to do that from a club point of view, I would definitely do that. I mean, my feeling about the club game is that it's about participation. Not, It's not about professional. And mm. I think the people, when they talk about the club game, they, they mean the AAL. But to my, to my point of view, when you talk about the club game, you talk about the club, you talk about every single team in it. And to sort of give my background where I, like, I remember guys when I joined the rugby club uh, in the mid-90s, talking about how the AAL had been bad for junior rugby because the first had, been, had gone from being first around, uh, first among equal to being the only show in town. And you hear, you hear stories about like teams used to have, clubs used to have seven, eight, nine club teams playing, and that's gone. Now, there's a variety of reasons for that, but it's, it's, it's along the same thing that Joe Broly's talking about in the GAC. Because rugby isn't the only field sport to experience it in Ireland. Like, you know, Gaelic football's also experienced it. But th- th- the main thrust of the argument is that all the attention gets given to the first team. And guys kind of train as though they're semi-pros in order to make it. And there isn't the money to make it. There isn't the money to make it professional in GA with, with 32 counties. And there isn't the money to make it professional in Ireland for all the guys outside the top four in the provinces. And it's not the club's... Uh, argument to do that so, so just to go on from that it meant then that you had a huge drop off of rugby the other thing particularly in Leinster rugby was that the under uh, the Macari Cup went from being a competition that ran up and had, the Macari Cup was started in the 70s to integrate guys into rugby clubs and the final was at Christmas time there were a few great finals that I remember going to I'd say there were a load of great finals down through the years um, and it it was it was UCD in particular pushed when there wasn't any academy structure and they wanted to get as many good players coming in, they said, well, we're the obvious home for it. And they pushed to make the under-20s a season-long tournament. Now, there's some guys involved in under-20 rugby who say it's a great tournament, and I've no doubt it is. I've been to Macari Cup finals since then. They've been good finals. But 
the effect that it had was that it meant that under 20s are just insulated from the rugby club and a lot of them at the under at the end of their under 20 season just don't play rugby whereas guys used to play up until christmas time and the fact that they were in the club meant that they might get picked they get picked for they would get picked for teams whether they played with them or not was a different matter but more of them would play and they get to know other guys in the rugby club and they were more likely to play rugby and i suppose the Eno Reardon wrote a piece, and I think his sub-editor hijacked it. He wrote it about three weeks ago, and it was talking about rugby is the game that everybody talks about or watches, but nobody actually plays. Yeah, the headline was something like, it's the people's game that nobody plays, and it was on foot of the comment from Neil Francis. I mean, who God knows. No, I'm not going to go there. But anyway, it was was Daft's fucking shit stirring from francis that leads to a headline i like that I, I i i think fran has been very good and if you actually read O'Riordan's piece he he didn't castigate rugby at all no. he just he just talked about participation number and it's i know from organizing teams it's really difficult rugby to get 15 game. guys or yeah. you, more than 15 guys like 19 guys because you got to get your front row subs it's yeah. difficult to get guys in positional specific like to, get, to play exactly, adult rugby whereas guys can do sport. yoga and pilates and you can just pitch up on your own mm, and do it yeah. like you don't need to organize anything mm-hmm. to do it like you you go along to herbert park or you go to phoenix park or you got you got any park around the country like you don't even need a room during when the weather's like this mm-hmm. and you can just pitch up and you're participating in pilates or yoga or something like that right so you you can't do that in rugby but if you look at the drop off in playing numbers it's and it's the same argument that probably makes and he's right it's it's the concentration on uh, the elite and the top guys at the expense of participation and I don't agree with it now fellas playing first team rugby should train as hard as they can but they shouldn't expect to make a living out of it yeah I think I think just in, in a general turn with rugby it's extremely position specific like you cannot put a scrum half into tight head you can't even put a second row into tight head and also it's a big numbers game you have to have you have to have how many 19 there are 40 lads nearly. Yeah. Have a game. You know, and they have to have positions. And then the other thing is, it's a collision sport. You get injured a lot yeah. playing rugby. And when I say injured, injuries are serious things. You get hurt a lot playing rugby. You get broken noses, broken thumbs, fingers, sprained wrists, ankles, and stuff like that with far more frequency. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, when there is a, a difference in playing rugby, why doesn't rugby have the, uh, the, um, the participation numbers afterwards, just in terms of you know Reardon's article, mm-hmm. it was just tougher than a lot of things. I'm I not be- saying that the, his brand of long distance running is, you know, not tough because it's bloody tough. But that's you, you. You don't have to get forty people together to have a long distance training running training session. In Reardon's article that was hijacked by his sub editor, he yeah. wasn't. He wasn't saying. He wasn't saying what the headline was saying. Yeah, and um, even just to echo that, like. Uh, anecdotally I was talking to a friend of mine and he was talking about his son playing a game of uh, or playing mini rugby in the rugby club and he was mentioning about the drop off that means like you know they they can't get enough room for mini rugby but the drop off even there comes when they start doing tackles and the parents are like less of that please with little Johnny Precious little Johnny doesn't want <laughs> to be tackled. <laughs> but we're talking, we're talking about the specifics of this um, this proposed league. So the idea, I think, is would that there be two teams from each province who would, and the phrase I've heard is, buddy up. <laughs> so you'd have Lansdowne and Clintarf, for example, mm. or 
UCD in Lansdowne, buddying up with Leinster. So Leinster would have, say, 10 players on development contracts and between 20 and 24 players on uh, in the academy. And they would go and be spread to, this, say, roughly 30 players between these two clubs. And they and then the 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 rest of the, the clubs would be made up by guys who would be, you know, good players who aren't yet in the academy system, possibly in the sub academy system, possibly just good players. But then you wonder, like, what happens to all the other, what happens to all the other teams? You know, what happens to your St Mary's, Belvedere, Ternier College? Black Rock. The closest Black to Rock. this, the closest to this is being Black Rock. Because when Emmett Farrell was the first team coach in Black Rock, he got a load of guys. I think Madigan, definitely Fionn Carr. Good few guys were in Leinster development contracts. And Rock were like in the top three or four teams in the AAL. Whereas Rock have gone, like Rock have fallen down two or three divisions. And like they're struggling now with the first 15. Because Farrell's not getting them up any more players. So it's not just what happens to the guys in. And if you look at Rock, Rock would be sick at the rest of the club will be sick at the treatment that the first get because they're going, you've got a load of guys who don't care about the club and they get everything. So fellas just stop playing. And like Blackrock College Ruby Club is the direct feed on from Blackrock College who are the most successful school in Irish rugby, always have been, have huge numbers. By a factor of seven. Yeah. And, mm. and yet, <laughs> like struggle to field teams. Their first team isn't good. They struggle to field more than four teams, I think. And, like, that's shocking. That's something that the IRFU should be concerned about. But it's not new so far as it's, you know, that's not what he's been paid to do. Mm. Um, so, you know, what happens in clubs when they just get hijacked by the professional game? The only, the alternative that I have heard described, but very close, you know, in, in close quarters, let's say, is that the under-20s, the national under-20s should compete in the All-Ireland League. So everybody else should just go along with their business, you know, the... Con, Munsters, Ternier, Lansdowne, College, uh, Gary and Tarf, all those guys who are in Division 1A at the moment. Uh, and the National Under-20s team should just compete. And then which would mean that they play together as a team for an entire season. So that they go into the Six Nations, they've had five, probably five months together. They go into Junior World Cup and they've had 10 months together. And you put them in, and if, I mean, look, I haven't looked at this in great detail, but if you put them in in an odd numbered, uh, put in 11 teams into Division 1A and just put 10 into all the rest of the divisions, as there are the 50 teams in the league at the moment, uh, and they just don't have any home matches. They just keep on playing away matches because um, that's what they're going to have to do in, in the Junior World Cup. And, you know, the very unlikely situation that Ireland hosts. Ireland aren't going to host the Junior World Cup on a, on a regular basis. Uh, so that would be an argument. That's how you get young players uh, playing in the AIL. And, you you know, it, it's good to get them gelling as a team if you want to compete at that highest level. But hijacking clubs isn't the way to do it. And once those guys are gone out of under 20, they go back and they play for their clubs or they play for their provinces or they go over to England and, and France and they try to make if, a carve if, out a professional career. If you want to be one of the clubs, if you are uh, if you're a club and you're a highly rated club, let's just say Lansdowne, you know, who would almost certainly be one of these clubs buddying up. Mm. And what happens to the players who were your first in Lansdowne? What happens to the rest of the club who, who they probably don't really have a route to playing for the first in Lansdowne? So that their seconds are much better, but who wants to play seconds? Rupee. You know, if you're if you think you're a first, so you go to a different 
do you go to a different club and then what happens to the rest of Lansdowne structures down from first through second through thirds? Like, I, I think that this, I don't think that this has been at all well thought out. No. Uh, I think that the British and Irish Cup did something in that it enabled the academy coaches to coach all their players together rather than players arriving into teams where they hadn't trained say a player returning on Thursday evening to play for St Mary's say he hadn't trained with the team during the week he was taking the place of a player who had trained during the week and then his game probably wouldn't even be watched or it might be recorded from a one video camera advantage and shown to his provincial coach playing under a completely different game plan which he didn't really know and he was one of two players from a semi-professional or academy background so the BNI Cup enabled all those players to play together directly under the uh, management of the coaches who had coached them all through the, through the week and through the year. So the BNI Cup, to me, was uh, uh, was a useful tournament, a very useful. I used to go to all the BNI games. And guys, guys have different mentalities. Uh, so if you look at the, uh, well, certainly one of the two best footballers in the world, Cristiano Ronaldo. Like he's he's brilliant because he's selfish or despite being selfish, like it, it doesn't impact him, right? So the reason I sort of mention him and then segue into the AAL, which is highly unlikely, is that sometimes really good players who are going to play, at, like they don't give a shit. If they're like, if you're, if you're playing AIL, like you, you don't care. Like, you know, you only care about it if you have a bad game and someone's been watching it and you're not going to get picked. Or, you know, if you win and you don't really give a shit about the, the, the club or the competition, like, you're only doing it to get onto the Leinster team. That's, like, there's, I wouldn't say, there's a significant proportion of guys who are like that. Mm. You don't want that in your club. You're not interested, like, you're not interested in being the player who's, who wants to play for his team, who wants to play for that Lansdowne, that sort of, you know, call it that Lansdowne first team, uh, who wants to compete if, with the guy who doesn't give a shit. And is this um, process... Is it seemingly fait accompli, or is this a trial balloon and seeing what the reaction is? Or I think it's, it's somewhere between the two. I certainly don't think it's a fait accompli. It's like been it, it's been mentioned and it hasn't been confirmed. But I just think, like again, it's I'm just against it. It's like I'm just against guys being taken from one place and planted into somewhere else. Like fellas should fellas should leave because they're not getting game time, and they should want to leave. And like they don't have to be overjoyed about it, but they've come to a mature decision. Like they're John Cooney, they're Jordan Murphy, they're not Joey Carberry. And look, it might work out, but I just don't agree with it. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that, I think uh, for a long time there was sort of this uh, longing that there is a longing for the AL to be as relevant as it was in the nineties. If you remember, if you correlate, if you put if you put yeah. the AAL into Irish rugby in the nineties, well, Irish rugby in the nineties, Irish international rugby was at its absolute nadir. Yeah, you know, and you can try and explain away why this new competition that we introduced in the last days of uh, amateur rugby was completely unrelated to it, which I just don't buy. The AAL did not do a great amount for uh, Irish international rugby. I think as well, like, the people who are more concerned about the AAL not being that big, they're not the players. Players don't give a shit. If you're mm -hmm. playing for a first team, you want to compete and you want to win your trophy. Like, the... the the pictures of the Ballina guys in the dressing room singing their song did the rounds on Twitter after that weekend, and it was it was deadly. 
and mm. they were having all the crack about mm. it. Like the fellas who really missed the AL being big are the Alakadoos who fucking got dragged along with it and the lunches aren't as big and the international players aren't as plain. It is not as shiny and it's not as glossy and they miss it. But like, fuck it, who cares about the Alakadoos? Like the players are the important thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's speaking as an Alakadoo now, but like, you know, you're not there to fucking get an ego boost. You're there for the players. I couldn't agree more. I was going to say something there. I was trying to let... You might have to edit this out while I try and remember what it was. Fuck it, it's gone. Get that snot out of your head. Is that a wrap? That's a wrap. All that's left to say tonight is a, a hearty thank you to... Isanasiwa. Uh, Isanasiwa, I think... I think the video that Lancer did that was screened, I think, before the um, the final, but I couldn't really hear because I was watching it in a pub, and then I watched it again on YouTube uh, subsequently, and uh, it featured a lot of Devin Towner and a lot of uh, Robert Kearney, and and then a huge cast of other people as well, and it was really touching. It was very nice. Oh, it was on Sky, yeah. yeah Gerb had it at the end. Gerb yeah, was crying. It wasn't. It wasn't um, overdone. It wasn't. I thought his le- I thought Issa's letter to the fans wasn't overdone either. I don't think it really can be summed up just how much he's come on come on from being like everyone being slightly suspicious of him at the start because Leinster hadn't had a great record of importing players to him being the rock of our team to him retiring for two years and then going nah, fancy a bit more of this it was so yeah. good and coming back and then leading them to the best season of all time and kicking the winning points in the final and then like playing on with like a leg hanging off him. Yeah. What a what a hero. What a player. What a lovely guy. What a and, great like, guy. Everyone. Uh, what a generous man. Uh, with his time and his his, his body. And uh, yeah. What a, what a, what, a, yeah. what a hero. I suppose he came in like Eddie Hekanui and he left like Jamie Heaslip or Brian O'Driscoll. Left yeah. up Brian O'Driscoll with the calf injury after twenty minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and and if anybody has an absolute <laughs> standing ovation. Beloved. If anybody <laughs> has the clip of him drilling Shabal, can you can you port it to our, our Twitter account, please? All right, good night. Thanks, Isa. Good night. Thanks, Isa. Good night. And Nathewa with space in front of him invites Shane Horgan onto it. Then Horgan back to Nathewa. And Nathewa sees space in front of him, attacks it, and on he goes. Isa Nathewa! Oh, that is class. That is absolute class from the Fijian.